0: This is not your average financial podcast episode 313 how to avoid the money monsters of taxes fees and more with john Insley. traditional financial planning is no longer working. Join us on September 6th and 7th, 2023 for an incredible two-day Not Your Average Financial Summit event that will revolutionize the way you think about your money. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out on this journey called money, this Not-So-Average Financial Summit has something for everyone. Gain some valuable knowledge, learn actionable tips, and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for bank on yourself and so much more. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Mark your calendars for September 6th and 7th, 2023. And register, head over to our website, notyouraveragefinancialsummit.com. That's notyouraveragefinancialsummit.com. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode. Got a question for you. What do you do when you have hit rock bottom to make sure that you don't stay there? Now, most everybody I interview on this podcast has shared valuable but vulnerable moments in their financial life. And how they use those vulnerable moments to really propel themselves to success that they enjoy today, I think, is what makes them successful. It's literally out of the ashes that the phoenix is born. So today's guest is no different. John Inslee is a bank-on-yourself professional who wasn't born knowing all the ins and outs of the financial universe, just like all of us, just like me. He had to learn the lessons in finance sometimes the hard way. Founded in 2012, John is president of J Ensley Financial, a fiduciary financial planning company and registered investment advisor. John holds a chartered financial consultant designation from the American College of Financial Services. Same place I got my CFP, man. Way to go. And is one of the elite group of the highly trained bank on yourself professionals. So John, take it away. John, welcome to the show. So excited to be here, Mark. Glad to have you. And I've been waiting for this for a while now. And you know, you've know, you been a colleague of mine as a Bank on Yourself professional for several years. I think you and I joined the revolution around the same time. But why don't you give our audience a bit of background, how you got to where you are today? Like a lot of uh,
1: interesting stories anyway, it kind of begins with a failure, way back in the day when I exited the military, I uh, had the good fortune of being in the right place at the right time. And I went to work for a company that was a a government contractor collecting defaulted student loans. I did pretty well at that and worked my way pretty quickly into a management position. And what came along with that was uh, an employee stock ownership plan, some stock options, and anyone that was in the corporate world in the late nineties will remember what a Kind of a thrill it was, right? Our company was gonna do an IPO. And you know, even though you you know you shouldn't count your chickens before they hatch, you just can't help running some numbers and applying it and going, wow, you know, we're gonna be we're gonna be rich. And then of course, uh when the dot com bubble burst, the IPO never happened. And so I learned some lessons with the dot com crash and decided, well, real estate is probably better direction to go for me. But this was a long time ago. I was young and really didn't know what I was doing. So that was a key factor. But I also ran some numbers at that point. And I realized that if I took that ESOP and rolled it over into some kind of IRA or qualified plan of some kind, I did the numbers and I said, boy, I'm going to pay a lot of taxes later in my life and give up control or access or any anything to this money. So I made the at the time, what felt like kind of a, a radical decision to liquidate that plan. And I bought some property in Southwest Washington and developed a uh, a small five-lot subdivision. And um, and of course, this was uh, in the early 2000s now. And if anybody that was around in the early 2000s in the real estate world can remember what a high it was and, and a thrill and You know, I had these as if appraisals done on these lots if I built homes on them and what, you know, what they would probably sell for. And, and again, it was, it was kind of a thrill. Um, So we launched into that project, subdivided the property, and I was about halfway through building the first spec home in 2008. So you can probably guess kind of where, where that
0: project went. Um, And spell it out for our audience who maybe some folks are just getting coming of age at that point. So what happened next?
1: So, um, of course now I've got, I've got a half built spec house and four bare lots. I couldn't have given the bare lots away at that point as the real estate market was just spiraling into a death spiral downward. Um, and then, uh, of course, there things happen when you're developing uh, raw land and and building homes, and so there were uh, stormwater regulations that changed, and I had to put a ton of money into upgrading a stormwater system and things like that. Um, and so I took on some leverage, right? Took on some debt because I could see what was happening, and I got desperate. I had to finish this this one spec house. If I could just get it done, you know, then then it would be okay. Um, and so I chased it. By borrowing, you know, more and more and more to try and finish up the deal with these projects, and uh, t- long story short, by 2009, the whole thing just imploded. Right? Mm, I, wow. I it, when the when the smoke cleared, um, it was pretty much a low point of my life. Right? I I had, the property was gone. Um, I had the IRS after me, divorce, teenage kids having problems at the time. Uh, my day job was commission-based, and of course, when the Great Recession struck, um, a lot of companies stopped buying stuff, so my income dropped by about 50% at the same time mm. from my wow. job, and uh, I just really hit rock bottom, just personally, pro- you know, professionally, everything just hit rock bottom financially, and this is how I know it was a low point, because I've never felt this kind of desperation or hopelessness before that point, right, Um And not only that embarrassment, I think Mm -hmm. of myself as a pretty smart guy, pretty savvy guy, you know, that kind of thing. And it's now all of a sudden I've just, everything is just completely falling apart, right? So you're embarrassed, um, your confidence, your self-esteem takes a hit, uh, that kind of thing. And um, so it was just, it was awful, absolutely awful. And I think the one thing that I remember uh, above everything else is it just didn't seem like it was ever going to end every single day just drag myself out of the house to go to work to, to to do with the things that had to be done but it was just a pure effort to to do it but i also have uh, never been never been one to get knocked down and not get back up i've always been extremely resilient eventually i got to the point and said okay how can i learn how can mm-hmm. i get better how do i rebuild that was a wake up call right that made me step back and go okay what am i missing Right. How, what what is going on here? And, um, and that led me on what I refer to as my personal journey of discovery. Hundreds of books is what it comes down to. And in the course of all that study, I, I learned a few things. That um, that became a real a real eye opener for me. One of the things I I learned is um, you know essentially there's this function in our lives called the banking function, and it it has to do with the systems and the institutions and the platforms we use to save, borrow, and invest, and that controlling that was a was a key key component. So it was in the course of all of this learning and absorbing and figuring things out that I uh, was on a webinar, listened to an advisor walk through this example of a couple and there was some real estate equity and they had this life insurance policy. And he went over this 30-year example with their mortgage and how these cash values were building. And now they're debt free, their house is paid for, they've got all this cash value in these policies. And I didn't understand it at all at that point, but it set me back in my chair a little bit Because I hated life insurance. I hated the whole idea of life insurance. Why would I want to be worth more dead than alive? That sort of attitude. And so this was my first exposure to life insurance being a tool that does something more than just death benefit, that does something more than just life insurance. I had not been exposed to that idea before, and I was very intrigued. And and of course, he used the words infinite banking during some point in in that presentation. And so Google searching... Um, I started finding all the information that I could find. And of course, I found Nelson Nash's wonderful book, Becoming Your Own Banker. And at the same time, I found Pamela Yellen's first book, Bank on Yourself. Those two books really got me going and, and learning more and more and more. And then ultimately, I looked up a, a bank on yourself professional in my area. And um, in about 2010 or 11, I think it was, I set up my, my own first policies personally. As I funded it and and used it a little bit, I got super passionate about this concept. See, I, over the years, I had been to many many financial advisors as I was doing all these different different projects, and nobody had ever said anything to me remotely similar to what I was learning with the bank on yourself concept. And had I had somebody before that subdivision project told me about this concept, it, it could have. It very well may have imploded, but I would have had a way out. Mm, Yeah. Right? Rather than my money from the ESOP just disappearing up in smoke, at least that money would have still been sitting in policies, building growth year over year as I paid my way out of that. That led me to uh, eventually decide, you know, nobody seems to know about this and everyone should know about this. And I was ready for a career change. And um, so- I looked into I reached out to the to the advisor that I worked with in my area to set my policy up and I you know said hey I I think I want to do this professionally you know what do I need to do so licensing and training and and all of those things followed and um, in 2012 I uh, left my corporate sales job uh, a very successful corporate sales job and uh, took the leap into entrepreneurship and started Lee Financial. So now my passion is helping other American families, individuals, business owners, um, learn about and understand, kind of educate people on exactly what this bank on yourself idea is and how it might apply to them. You know, my whole thing from the beginning was if if, if folks just knew about it, it could probably change their life in some way. And so that's that's what I'm
0: here to do. Why should every American family know about this and even incorporate it into their overall financial picture?
1: First of all, Banking Yourself is simply a system to save, invest, and borrow, right? That, that's all it is. It's a, it's a platform to facilitate saving, investing, and borrowing. And it's using the unique features of whole life insurance contracts that are designed in a proper way to, to do that. Um, so in a nutshell, that's, that's really what it is. It's that simple. Every American family should have it because once you understand those unique benefits, and you talk about them a lot on your, on your shows, um, once you understand those unique benefits, there's really no better place to hold the cash or the money that you're putting away. And then the investing and borrowing features there, there's really no better way to facilitate investments than to use that bank-on-yourself system as a platform for those investments. And so I think when you understand that, at least a significant portion of every American family's financial plan should start with a foundation of of a uh, properly structured whole life policy.
0: Take us back to your story and explain to us how having this tool, this bank-on-yourself tool, might have given you a way out. Describe that for us. Yes, absolutely. So
1: so had I taken these this money that I took out of the ESOP and and liquidated it like I did, paid paid the tax, and put that into a my bank on yourself policy, had I known about it at that point in time, and then borrowed against that policy to develop that that subdivision, right? So now, <clears throat> who's to say that had I done that, it might have turned out better, right? It might have because I might not have had to pursue – the the debt that I did otherwise. The
0: bank financing
1: um, and yeah, the, the bank financing yep, and hard loans, money loans and yep. right these kinds of things. Um so that's that's one course, right? It could have just whole thing just could have turned out better. But let's say it still just fell apart, right? It's still Meaning, just fell meaning apart. the
0: subdivision fell apart, the world economy still had its way, and and you still yep. couldn't sell those plots of still land. Still
1: lost the property, still did all of that, right? The difference would have been my bank-on-yourself policy. My bank-on-yourself design policy would have been holding all that cash that was continuing to grow year over year over year, even though I would have borrowed it all out. Mm. And then on my own Mm. terms, I could have started paying that loan back. And over whatever number of years, when I had all that money paid back to the policy, I would have then had the cash back. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And all the growth on that cash, and I would have not, I wouldn't have missed a beat from a long term standpoint.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're it, exactly right.
1: That's amazing, right? Had it, yeah. I could have bailed myself out. In other words, since the government certainly wasn't bailing me out, they were bailing all the big banks out, but they weren't bailing right. us uh, us uh, little uh, little people out. Um, that's right. But I could yeah. have bailed myself out. Right? It Could have been my well, own bailout plan.
0: Be your own bailout plan. I like it, man. Yeah, there's no government. You know. Uh, knight in shining armor coming to rescue us. I don't think that's going to happen, whether you know the world economy goes through three, five, ten more financial crashes during our lifetimes. Do mm-hmm. we really think that that was the last crash? Of course not. There's right. going to be more, unfortunately so. And so what are you doing now to prepare yourself for the next recession? You don't build the tornado shelter during the tornado storm. You build it now. You don't build, you know, your your solution in the midst of the crisis. You build it before the crisis begins. So, so speaking of crises, there are some mega money monsters that uh, I think you've really brought up in our conversations, and you've really teased out the biggest, really wealth-killing demons or monsters in one's financial life. These are the, it, it may not be a worldwide financial crisis that destroys your financial plans. It might be big market events. It might be stealth little monsters nibbling away at the corners of your financial future. Can you describe what are these monsters and why should we pay attention to them? Absolutely. I refer to them as money monsters. And um, and
1: they're the silent uh, or hidden forces that are kind of hidden in the dark that are siphoning off little portions of uh, of your... Uh, your savings, your your retirement plan, whatever the case may be. Um, and it, it's just little portions, so it goes unnoticed. But if you add those little portions up over a lifetime, uh, it, it makes an enormous impact. Um, And I think this is the exact reason that so many people that I talk to feel like they're almost cynical now about financial planning because they feel like they've done everything they've been told to do, mm, but they just right. still aren't getting the results they thought they were going to get and and i think this this is a big reason why there's these hidden forces eating away at it that they're not aware of and um and so controlling the money monsters is really the key if we don't control the money monsters then effectively it's just it just comes down to luck some people get lucky most don't the key money monsters are taxes management fees crises or crashes inflation and then the fifth one is debt interest so those are the those are the five key money monsters that we really have to tame and harness and in some cases even turn to our advantage
0: so give us like a quick walkthrough of these monsters and maybe most importantly how we can neutralize them or at least put them back in their cage
1: for sure everyone's uh familiar with taxes death and taxes they we kind of think of it like it's a thing we can't control and it's just something that's that's gonna happen but in fact, I think there's a lot that can be done um to control the tax that, you, that you're that you going to experience. And we also tend to think of it as this year. Um, and what I'm referring to is not so much whatever your tax bill is this year, it's what, what what's your exposure over your lifetime, right? Because again, right. these little things add up over 30, 40, 50, 60 years um, and can make an enormous difference. The, the book The Power of Zero by David McKnight, The Power of Zero. You can be in a zero or very low tax bracket in retirement and have significant assets at the same time if you use the right tools. Fees, fees is one I find is just wildly misunderstood by by most people. Um, you know, I'm paying half a percent or three quarters of a percent or one percent or whatever it is. And then when you analyze the statements, it's it's two, it's one and three-quarter, it's three sometimes. So it's just wildly misunderstood and the other effect of fees that is misunderstood is it's cumulative it builds up year over year over year over year it's like it's like compound interest in reverse mm, right. right it builds on itself that that 1% fee I, there's an analysis i do for clients sometimes that 1% fee over 30 years is uh, over 18% of the account value after 30 years depending wow. on the growth factor and so forth so it 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 makes a big difference that eats away uh, it 's a third of the growth in many cases, if you reverse that scenario and say if somebody said uh for thirty three percent i 'll uh plug you into some mutual funds'll
0: yeah, take, take all your i 'll take the vast majority of your earnings i 'll assume no risk, and i 'll get a guaranteed payment from you from your account every single year. Boy, what a deal. Yeah, yeah, and I might lose all your money and there's nothing you can do about it, but don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I'll still get paid. I'll be okay. Don't worry about that. Yeah, I'll still get to retire. No big deal. Yeah, exactly. Right. So So fees are mega. Now you said crashes, market volatility. Tell us about that and what we can do to help buffer against those. This is the
1: one everyone already fears, right? The market's going to do another 2008 and I'm going to lose half of my retirement plan, right? And so on top of the fees, the taxes, now we have to worry about the big hit right? The the financial crisis, the housing crash, the whatever it is that's going to wipe out huge chunks all at once. Now, yes, there's recovery. Recovery takes time, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, so crashes, I think, is an obvious one. Inflation is less obvious and again, widely misunderstood. We're all understanding it here in the last two years, right? We definitely um, understand what inflation can do yep. to, to prices, to interest rates, to, to all of those things. And so it's important that as we're building our nest egg over time, we've we've got to account for inflation, right? If I I can live on $100,000 a year in 2023, what do I need in 2053? And if it's 3% a year over 20 years, it's about 60% more, Hmm. right? Right, right. And that's just using very, very simple average mathematics. So inflation is definitely something we have to account for. And the other monsters affect that one. If you get wiped out in a crash or you pay too much in taxes or the fees eat away a third of your of your growth, and you've got 60, 60% inflated prices over 20 years, now we start understanding why people just feel like they're not getting ahead.
0: Mm. Wow, that's true. Okay, so as we wrap up this episode, I want you to tell us what's a piece of information or a bit of wisdom insight, what you can do in the midst of a, a downturn or a scary moment uh, what what advice would you give yourself? Absolutely. So if I could go
1: back in time, uh, especially during the dark days, you know, I, I kind of refer to pre 2010 or so as my zombie period as, you know, I wasn't really yeah. awake and aware yet. So that would be the number one thing. Stay awake, be aware, learn all you can, keep an open mind. Cause you know, there's a quote, I forget who, who said it now, but you know, whatever we think we know, we probably is probably wrong. Yeah. So right. we always have to keep that humility to understand that that there's information we can potentially have wrong and can can learn something new. And the the other thing I would say is it's easy to take ourselves in life a little too seriously. I, yep. I I have a joke that I that I throw around a lot that's you know, it's it's all just a hologram. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can't take ourselves too seriously. The great thing about that is we have the
0: ability to to reprogram the hologram anytime we want. Well, cool. That's really good, man. Yeah, you're right. You got to have that capacity to take, take, it, um, take it with a grain of salt. Don't live with a chip on your shoulder, uh, as the old sayings go. And really to, to give yourself the chance and the grace to try again tomorrow, to get up and try something new. So how That's can it. folks reach out to you and work with you if they'd like to learn more?
1: So best way to get to um, to work with me is to jump on over to jumponwithjohn.com. You can set up an appointment to have an introductory conversation. Everyone I work with begins with a very casual, no pressure introductory conversation just to learn about each other, get acquainted and see if if there's a fit for us to work together.
0: Fantastic. Okay, one more time that's jumponwithjohn and that's j o h n.com everybody go check it out. He's one of my favorite bank on yourself professionals. I get to work with him throughout the year and our ongoing education and training makes, I think, John, one of the best in the business for being able to build these type of solutions. So thank you again, John, for coming on today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Mark. I've been looking forward to this for a long time.
0: Wow. What a great conversation. Thank you again, John, for coming on today. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to his story, learning more about the bank-on-yourself concept. You know, I really think there's some valuable takeaways from this episode you can take and apply to your own financial situation. Here's a few you can take action on this week. First, don't let financial failures define you. John experienced two major losses in his life, but he did not give up. He learned from his mistakes and found a better way to manage money. And you can do the same by being resilient and adaptable. Number two, consider the bank on yourself strategy as an alternative to traditional financial planning. John explained how this system can help you save, invest, and borrow using whole life insurance policies. This can really provide safety, liquidity, growth, and even tax advantages over investments that really fall flat. Third, beware of money monsters that can destroy your financial future. Again, those were taxes, fees, crashes inflation, and interest. Each of those could destroy your portfolio and your future goals. He shared some tips on how to get rid of those monsters by using the bank on yourself concept and other strategies. So this week, take a look at how those five monsters are already in your financial life and what you can do to take action and protect yourself from them. Finally, have fun, enjoy your life. John reminded us that money is not the ultimate goal. It's a means to an end. He encouraged us to have a positive attitude, a sense of humor, and a purpose in life. And don't forget to check out his website, jumponwithjohn.com. It's a fun word to say, right? It's a fun website to say, jumponwithjohn.com, where he offers more resources and information on the Bank on Yourself concept. So thank you, John, and thank you everyone for coming to this episode today and checking in. It's great to have you along on the journey. Don't forget, our summit is coming up September 6th and 7th. You can find us and register at notyouraveragefinancialsummit.com. That's notyouraveragefinancialsummit.com. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future.